Are we ready for Latavius Murray's dynasty value to go to zero? Because that's where it's headed. We talked in the last show about the dichotomy between Duke Johnson and Latavius Murray, how I believe there's a chasm between these two players. Yet on message boards and on Twitter, I'm reading that many fantasy gamers, Dynasty League enthusiasts in particular, believe that Latavius Murray is more valuable in Dynasty, Dynasty, than Duke Johnson. And this doesn't make any sense. I cannot understand this. It's vexing to me. Duke Johnson's 23 years old. Latavius Murray's 27. Latavius Murray's past the age apex for the position by two years. <laughs> He's well into the back half of his career, and Latavius Murray has never been a top 10 running back in the NFL. It's never going to happen for him. And I laid out my case against him in the last show, and many of the buzzards that follow this show chimed in and said, you forgot that he's also about to be a free agent. And you're absolutely right. I forgot he's going to be a free agent. He's going to be a free agent. <laughs> Leaving the Oakland Raiders would be a death blow for Latavius Murray because the Raiders were the best possible situation for him. He only was competing with fifth-round pick DeAndre Washington and undrafted free agent Jalen Richard. That was his only competition last year. No matter where Latavius Murray goes in 2017, there will be more competition for touches in whatever backfield he lands on. And odds are he'll land on a team with a lesser offense. The Oakland Raiders were... One of the most efficient offenses in the league. They ran a lot of run plays, over 25 run plays per game. And with Derek Carr at quarterback, they were in the red zone a lot and scoring a lot of points. And even beyond that, it was above average run blocking offensive line that Oakland featured. 101.9 offensive line run blocking grade on playerprofiler.com. Anytime you have a run blocking efficiency over 100, that's a quality run blocking offensive line. So prolific and efficient offense with an efficient run blocking offensive line. That's the offense that Latavius Murray will likely be leaving in the offseason. Still think he has more dynasty value than Duke Johnson? Because even on the Oakland Raiders, the best possible situation for him, Latavius Murray was not efficient last year. Look at the advanced efficiency metrics. The juke rate, evaded tackles per touch, 18.9%. That was 55th in the NFL. And you might say, well, we know that Latavius Murray's not elusive. Latavius Murray is a one-cut home run hitter, evidenced by a 115.896th percentile speed score after he ran a 4.43 at 223 pounds. So that's not his specialty. He's not dancing around defenders in the backfield. You give him a wide running lane, and he will maximize the gaps that offensive linemen afford him and will exploit the defense and get the most out of it, right? That's Latavius Murray's singular skill, right? Right? Wrong. 3.6% breakaway run rate. Only seven runs of more than 20 yards all season last year for Latavius Murray. So that one thing that apparently he does well, he actually didn't do well last season. So my question is, what is he good at? Well, he was good at scoring touchdowns. 12 touchdowns last year was number six in the NFL. And those touchdowns were a product of his situation. That was it. 
Those 12 touchdowns were a product of good fortune, right place, right time for Latavius Murray. No matter where he goes in 2017, he'll likely end up in the wrong place at the wrong time because his talent profile indicates that he can't generate fantasy production on his own. Outside the top 30 in every key efficiency metric. And the one thing that running backs can do that can elevate their fantasy potential. What can a running back do to continue to push themselves into that RB2 conversation in fantasy football? Catch passes. Well, does Latavius Murray catch passes? No! In 2015, getting a 70% opportunity share, he caught only 40 passes, 2.6 per game. Last year, it dropped to 33 passes, 2.4 per game on a mere 53% opportunity share. So let me get this straight. Oakland Raiders coaches realized that Latavius Murray is not a bell cow back in 2015. They throttled down his carries in 2016, dropping his opportunity share by almost 20 percentage points. And what happened? Of course, his receptions fell. His yardage totals collapsed. Now he turns 27 and will be looking for a new team in the offseason. And you think that this is a valuable running back? This is an asset you want to have on your Dynasty League team? <laughs> laughable. Literally laughable. I just laughed. I laughed because it's laughable. I'm laughing right now again. <laughs> it's laughable. You look at the Latavius Murray performance profile on playerprofiler.com and you see. He's useless. I mean, he's fairly useless across the board. I think on another team, they'd like to use him as a situational home run hitter. Like you see situational deep threats used occasionally, like Aldrick Robinson, Kenny Stills being the best of the situational deep threats in the NFL, not a player that is deployed on an every down basis. Well, that's Latavius Murray. He's going to end up on a team that will use him in situations where they think they can exploit the defense create a gap, and hit on a big run play. But no NFL team wants to feed Latavius Murray volume touches. No NFL coach thinks that's a good idea. No NFL coach is trying to scheme Latavius Murray into space. Handing the ball to Latavius Murray on first and 10 at the 50-yard line is not an optimal play call. Latavius Murray's yards per carry against base defenses last year, 3.7, 63rd in the NFL. His yards per carry was better against stacked fronts and against light fronts. So pitch it out to Latavius Murray when the defense is in nickel. Hand it off to Latavius Murray in a short yardage situation. But Latavius Murray will never see an opportunity share over 50% again. And he will never outscore Duke Johnson on a fantasy points per game basis for the rest of his career. And other than Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray is the only other interesting free agent running back. I think most people think Latavius Murray will leave the Oakland Raiders. Most people think that Le'Veon Bell will stay in Pittsburgh. So Latavius Murray actually projects to be the most interesting free agent running back unless Le'Veon Bell wants to shock the world and go to the Patriots. That would be interesting. But when you look at the wide receiver position, there's a lot of interesting free agents. So I'm going to go down this list of free agent wide receivers quickly. I'm going to give you my preferred landing spot for each one. This is going to be a continual topic on the show. We're going to keep coming back to it because this is one of the better free agent wide receiver classes in NFL history. It starts with Alshon Jeffrey. I'd love to see Alshon Jeffrey go to the Titans. The Titans do not have a proper split end X receiver. 
Tajay Sharp projects to be an NFL flanker. Rashard Matthews has been one of the more efficient and productive NFL flankers the last two seasons. Neither one of them can play on the outside and, like Julio Jones in the Super Bowl, beat bracket coverage or get open consistently when shadowed by the defense's number one cornerback. The Tennessee Titans desperately need an ex-receiver who can command the attention of the defense that will open up more target separation for all members of the offense, all the skilled position players, from Delaney Walker, Tajay Sharp, Rashard Matthews, and whoever else they draft. Alshon Jeffrey to the Titans needs to happen. They have the cap space to make it work. They have the ascending quarterback. The team is pointing in the right direction. They looked like a playoff team at times last year, so it's the ideal landing spot for Alshon Jeffrey to sign a big contract and go to a contender. Now, what about Terrell Pryor? You can see Terrell Pryor going to a bad offense. If he's going to take the payday, try to maximize the dollars he can make, if that's his disposition during the free agent negotiation process, well, he'll end up on the San Francisco 49ers. He'll end up on the LA Rams. If Terrell Pryor is interested in championships, he'll end up on the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots are number three in the NFL in cap space. That was stunning to me. The defending NFL Super Bowl champions are top five in the league in cap space. Adding insult to victory, the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. And having Terrell Pryor would be a boon for the entire Patriots offense. It would help to spread the field and create separation for Gronk, create more room underneath for Edelman, Mitchell, Hogan. Because Chris Hogan's not a proper split end. Chris Hogan doesn't run a sub 4-5-40. Chris Hogan doesn't play above the defense. Chris Hogan is just the best equipped wide receiver to play split end that happens to be on the Patriots roster right now, but he is not a prototypical NFL X receiver. Terrell Pryor is. So Terrell Pryor goes to the Patriots. They could move Hogan to flanker, and they could slide Edelman in to play the slot position. That way, Edelman could play the Amendola role in 2017, which is a better fit for him because Julian Edelman is in decline. And it's not a gradual decline. Julian Edelman's decline in 2016 was precipitous. Both his production premium, the situation agnostic efficiency metric on playerprofiler.com, looking at every given down and distance that Julian Edelman received a target, negative 18.8, 92nd in the NFL. So in those same downs and distances and same game situations, the other receivers in the NFL were much more productive on a per-target basis than Julian Edelman in 2016. And he was much less efficient on a per-target basis than the other receivers in the Patriots passing game, evidenced by a negative 31.7 target premium. That was 105th in the league. Yards per target, 6.9, outside the top 70. Even his catch rate was outside the top 50. The idea that Julian Edelman would post a catch rate under 62% is staggering to me. I just don't understand it. And then I look up and I realize, oh yeah, he's 31 years old. He's absorbed a lot of collisions in the NFL. But fortunately for him in 2016, he also received 160 targets, number three in the NFL. That's what allowed him to post 14.4 fantasy points per game. 
the ultimate volume-fueled season for Julian Edelman. And the beauty is, if you own Julian Edelman in Dynasty, you can trade him for significant value in return. Why? Because most Dynasty leaguers are unsophisticated. You can see it in their valuation of Latavius Murray versus Duke Johnson, only looking at fantasy points per game. And we have playerprofiler.com for a reason. So you could take your player evaluation process to the next level instead of only looking at fantasy points per game. Fantasy points per game is a opportunity and situation-fueled measurement system. Fantasy points per game alone does not isolate the intrinsic quality of a player, not even close. Yet on Dynasty League message boards, it seems all anyone cares about when evaluating Latavius Murray were his fantasy points per game last year, which were fueled by an inordinate number of touchdowns that he will never replicate. And the same is true for Julian Edelman. His fantasy points per game were fueled by over 150 targets, a number he won't come close to replicating ever again. Especially if Terrell Pryor goes to the Patriots. Woo! Because while Tom Brady's under-pressure completion percentage was outside the top 15 last year, his deep ball completion percentage was still near the top of the league. 47.2% deep ball completion percentage on playerprofiler.com. That was top five in the NFL. And what do we know about Terrell Pryor? Size, speed, specimen. Upper 90th percentile height adjusted speed score. He can get deep and he can make plays against the elite NFL corners and against double coverage. Getting Terrell Pryor would give the Patriots the offensive weapon that they sorely needed in the Super Bowl. They won anyway, but you could tell that the fact that the Atlanta Falcons had an extraterrestrial in Julio Jones was a competitive advantage against the Patriots. And in this arms race for explosive talent, getting Terrell Pryor would be the ultimate peacemaker for the New England Patriots. Now, Deshaun Jackson wants to go back to Philadelphia. That's what he said, and I believe that's what he'll do. The Philadelphia Eagles desperately need speed on the outside. They have Jordan Matthews at flanker running those intermediate routes. They need a proper stretch X player on the other side of the field, an X receiver that can threaten the deep quadrants of the football field. That's Deshaun Jackson. It's a perfect fit. And I believed he enjoyed his time in Philadelphia and he wants to return. Let's make it happen. Now, Kenny Britt is going to be a free agent. I think Kenny Britt would be great on the Seahawks because the Seahawks lack any receivers with any kind of size. Jermaine Curse is your biggest receiver. Talk about a useless NFL player. Jermaine Curse is the definition of a useless NFL talent. Just below replacement across the board for Jermaine Curse. The just-a-dude guy, NFL wide receiver prototype, Jermaine Curse. So get Jermaine Curse out of there. Replace him with a true talent, a true size, speed, X receiver. Something they've been sorely missing for years in Seattle. Kenny Britt would fill a need and be a perfect fit opposite Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett. You have Tyler Lockett stretching the field, Doug Baldwin operating underneath, and Kenny Britt running those intermediate routes and commanding the attention of the defense's best defensive backs. Now, where's Michael Floyd going to go? Because we saw the end of 2016, Michael Floyd looked a bit rejuvenated on New England, and then all of a sudden he's a game day inactive in the playoffs. 
I've heard he might re-sign with the Patriots. That's not going to happen. The Patriots signed him so that he could sign somewhere else, and then the Patriots would receive a compensatory draft pick. That's the game the Patriots are playing. The Patriots are playing chess while other NFL teams are playing checkers, evidenced by the Michael Floyd signing earlier in the year. I think Michael Floyd's going to go to the Packers. I think the Packers would be a great fit for Michael Floyd. They already have Jordy Nelson. They already have Devontae Adams. But I think Michael Floyd would be better than Devontae Adams. I think he could push Devontae Adams. I think that Aaron Rodgers needs another weapon in the passing game. One of the least efficient wide receiver cores in the NFL last year, the Green Bay Packers. Michael Floyd would be an inexpensive upgrade. Ted Thompson rarely spends on free agency, and Michael Floyd would be inexpensive. So I like that fit, Michael Floyd going to the Green Bay Packers. Kendall Wright, there's a handful of teams that need quality slot receivers. First and foremost, the Carolina Panthers. They already have the outside receivers covered. Big, tall bodies on the outside, Devin Funches, Kelvin Benjamin. But on the inside, all they have is Corey Brown. Child, please, get Kendall Wright. He could return to 1,000-yard Kendall Wright next year. I think Kendall Wright, if he goes to either the Carolina Panthers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, teams that need slot receiver upgrades, I think Kendall Wright becomes this year's Marvin Jones. A complimentary receiver that rises back to fantasy relevancy. Total 1,000-yard seasons for Kendall Wright. One. Total 1,000-yard seasons for Marvin Jones. Zero. Now, if Kendall Wright goes to the Panthers, then I think Tampa, who also needs a slot receiver, should sign Robert Woods. Robert Woods may be the sneakiest ad in all of Dynasty this offseason because he's been trapped on a low-volume offense in Buffalo. Robert Woods was never going to get an opportunity to fully demonstrate his capabilities in Buffalo, but he did flash at times last year. Week 9 against Seattle's defense, 10 receptions, 162 yards for Robert Woods, so he has it in him when healthy to be productive. We saw him at the college level. Robert Woods was an epic age-adjusted producer at the college level. Go back and look at his resume at USC, his second year as a true sophomore, 1,292 yards on 111 receptions and 15 touchdowns for Robert Woods, one of the best sophomore seasons by a college-wide receiver in the history of college football. And on Tampa Bay, he would be a significant upgrade over Adam Humphreys. And what about Kenny Stills? Kenny Stills should go to Washington. Washington has their slot receiver, Jamison Crowder. Check. They've got their X receiver in Josh Doxson. Check. What are they missing? Field stretcher. Kenny Stills on Washington would be delicious because what does Washington love to do? They love to throw the ball. Prolific offense. Kirk Cousins, 606 pass attempts last year, was number six in the NFL. And his deep ball attempts, 94, number one in the NFL. Kirk Cousins slung it deep last year more than any other quarterback. And that would fit hand in glove with Kenny Stills and his skill set. Because remember, when Kenny Stills was not paired with a fearful game manager like Ryan Tannehill, when Kenny Stills was the field stretcher in New Orleans, Kenny Stills posted 931 yards and three touchdowns less than 16 games. So he was on pace for a 1,000-yard season in New Orleans and paired with Kirk Cousins after Deshaun Jackson leaves. You can imagine Kenny Stills 
finally eclipsing 1,000 receiving yards if he goes to Washington. And finally, what about Pierre Garçon? He's also likely leaving Washington. I'd like to see Pierre Garçon go to Baltimore because that's a safe place for a wide receiver to land and not threaten Brashad Perriman's alpha dog status. Brashad Perriman looks the part of an NFL alpha dog at the wide receiver position. I'd love to see him become the go-to X receiver, and that would allow Pierre Garçon to play that flanker role, run some routes out of the slot, and become that possession receiver chain mover for Joe Flacco. A great wide receiver pairing in Baltimore would be Perriman and Garçon. And we're going to have a guest on today, Stephen Wilt. And we'll ask him where he'd like to see these free agent wide receivers land. I connected with Stephen on Twitter last year. I've been following him. He's a great follow on Twitter. Admittedly, doesn't do a lot of podcasting. But what I like to do in the winter months is give some of my friends on Twitter an opportunity to come on the podcast, get some podcast reps and see if they can translate their knowledge and their wit they're showing on Twitter into the podcast medium. So I want to give Stephen Wilt an opportunity today at Pyrolytics, P-Y-R-O-L-Y-T-I-C-S. Give him a follow on Twitter. Let's go talk to Stephen. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Stephen Wilt. Stephen Wilt is the DFS guru over at pyromaniac.com. We have a shared struggle online. We are blocked by many of the same individuals. Great Twitter follow, Stephen Wilt. Talk to me. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, man. We're ready to talk some, some football. We just had some football, the greatest football in the history of football, Super Bowl. So who was the real MVP of the Super Bowl? Was it Tom Brady or did they just give it to him because he was the leader of the comeback? It was indeed Tom Brady. And my main point for Brady being deserving of that MVP is simple. He's deserving of the MVP because he engineered the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. He led the Patriots back out in the second half without the slightest hint of failure on his face. He never lost hope. He willed his team, who's being the leader he was born to be in this type of situation. He stayed cool when he didn't let he didn't let the circumstances revolving around the game hurt his composure. He was the epitome of the nickname Matty Ice. Right, so he actually took on the identity of Matty Ice at the end of the game. And you could tell because you saw it in his face. You were looking at his face and you looked at his face and you said, this is the face of a champion. This is the face of a cool customer. This is the face of a Super Bowl MVP. And I disagree because (laughs) I think the real MVP of the Super Bowl was James White. But they're not going to give the MVP trophy to backup running back James White. That's just not going to happen. Technically, the number three running back on the depth chart, James White, just the guy that happened to be there and not fumbling. Deion Lewis fumbled twice against Houston, so the Patriots didn't trust him. Then LeGarrette Blunt fumbled in the first half. They lost faith in him. He also was completely ineffective. So... Who's left? James White. James White was just the guy that was left, and I think that's how he was perceived. And for that reason, there was no way he could win the MVP trophy no matter what numbers he posted, even if he posted two rushing touchdowns, even if he broke the record for receptions in a Super Bowl and 
led the Patriots in all-purpose yards with three touchdowns and two-point conversions. The best fantasy day by a player in the playoffs that, going back through time, there's very few players that have ever posted more fantasy points in a playoff game than James White, only a couple points shy of 50 fantasy points. 50. 5-0. The best Super Bowl performance by a running back in the history of the Super Bowl. Ever! Roger Craig had the best Super Bowl for a running back prior to James White. And now it's James White. James White stands alone as the best running back in Super Bowl history. But unlike Roger Craig... James White was not afforded the opportunity to raise the MVP trophy. That went to Tom Brady because we are predisposed to give credit for victories to the quarterback. Do you believe that's true? Correct. Most most of the time it is it is the quarterback, no matter um, uh, how well a particular player did in, an, in a t- particular situation. I mean, in a vacuum, forget Tom Brady, forget Matt Ryan. Just generic quarterback X was the quarterback of the Patriots. Try to, in your mind's eye now, just look at James White in a vacuum. Does a player with those numbers playing that role in that game deserve to win the most valuable player trophy? Yeah, I think I think what really um, uh, helps James White is that he is the third running back. Like, he wasn't expected to do this. So him being able to do this as the third running back on the depth chart is just insane. Yes. I believe that James White was the Larry Brown of Super Bowl 51, a player that came out of anonymity to dominate the game and deserved to win the MVP. Roger Craig deserved to win the MVP, won the MVP. Larry Brown deserved to win the MVP, coming out of anonymity, won the MVP. James White deserved to win the MVP, was not awarded the MVP. He's the real MVP. It's not Tom Brady. Look at the numbers that Tom Brady posted. I get it. 466 yards. That's great. That's the number that I keep seeing. 466 yards. 466 yards. Okay. 466 yards on how many attempts? 62 attempts. Why did he throw for 466 yards? Game script. If you're down over 21 points in the second half, of course You're going to pass for a lot of yards. Of course, they were down 28-3 at one point. Duh. Whoever the quarterback is is going to throw for more than 300 yards in that scenario. Tom Brady didn't even play that well. He took five sacks, only two touchdowns to one interception. So everything except the passing yards was not MVP caliber, and even the passing yards was volume-fueled. He only threw for 7.5 yards per attempt in this game, and anyone that watched the Super Bowl, just everybody, would agree that The first half that Tom Brady posted was one of the worst halves of football he's ever played. The reason why Atlanta went out to a big lead in the first half is because Tom Brady was awful. So let me get this straight. You play horrendous football, dig yourself a hole that then you can play hero getting your team out of the hole that you yourself created. And then we'll go ahead and give you the MVP trophy as a reward. No. James White bailed you out. That's what actually happened. Listen, I understand that you want Tom Brady to be the MVP. Because why? Because anyone that likes Tom Brady knows that another Super Bowl MVP 
helps his case when putting him in the pantheon of greatest athlete of all time. It was a Mount Rushmore that I saw today on social media. Wayne Gretzky, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth. The Super Bowl MVPs help to build the case that Tom Brady belongs in that echelon. I understand why there's a zeal to give Tom Brady all the hardware. But when you look at what happened in the Super Bowl, James White was the best player on either team, period. What I'm trying to do is detangle actual performances from mythology. Tom Brady wins the mythology game every time. Tom Brady beats everybody on mythology. James White can't compete with Tom Brady in terms of mythology, but he did compete with Tom Brady in terms of efficient, reliable production. Every time the ball went in his direction, what happened? He caught it. 14 out of 16 targets were caught by James White. And whenever the ball was given to him in a scoring situation, in a high leverage situation, did he fumble? No. Did he fall down? No. Did he spin into infinity like Deion Lewis? No. What did he do? He pushed forward, got as many yards as were available, and oftentimes either scored touchdowns or two-point conversions. James White did not benefit from random events and outcomes on the football field. He was the creator of the events and outcomes on the football field. Tom Brady, on the other hand, benefited from numerous random events and outcomes. A ball was tipped way up in the air, and instead of being intercepted, it fell into the arms of Martellus Bennett. Tom Brady throws into triple coverage, and what happens? Miraculously, Julian Edelman comes out with the ball. We charted numerous interceptable passes and danger plays executed by Tom Brady that he didn't pay a price for in the Super Bowl because he was lucky. That's what happened. Tom Brady had a lucky Super Bowl. He played bad, and James White and Julian Edelman and good fortune let him off the hook. But James White's performance was insulated from good fortune. Tom Brady's performance was propped and propelled by good fortune and circumstance. Now, I will ask you again, Stephen Wilt, who was the MVP of the Super Bowl? It was James White. Yes! <laughs> yeah, you're damn right it was. You're goddamn right it was James White. That's right. Well, Moving I think, on. Well, <laughs> one more, one more point. What really hurts Brady is, like, the running back doesn't have a very large A dot. So for James White to rack up this many yards, it was dink and dunk all day. So it was pretty much all yards after catch. So James White was making plays in space, which really hurts Brady in the long run there. Well, James White was responsible for a lot of first downs and yards that were on Tom Brady's ledger. Also, he was reliable in a game that was decided by sacks and turnovers. James White didn't turn the ball over. It's like the kick return game. The Patriots tried a couple different options at punt returners, kick returners throughout the season, and they found that these other players were not reliable. They ended up having to default to Julian Edelman on punt returns because he was the only player that they could trust to field the ball cleanly. Well, that's what ended up happening with James White. He ended up being just the guy that got all the running back touches in the second half because he's the guy that demonstrated that in a high-pressure situation that he could be reliable. He wasn't dropping passes, he wasn't fumbling, and he was falling forward. And sometimes that's enough 
to be the most productive player on the field and to have one of the best fantasy games in the history of NFL playoff performances. That last touchdown by James White was a touchdown. We don't even see another picture of his biceps circled. Oh, there's a picture out there that he showing yeah, him like not getting a touchdown, not breaking yeah. They have like time. they have like his biceps circle. There's something that's between the Falcons player's leg. Like they have his biceps circle because it because like it looks like a football, but it's not the football. <laughs> Get over it, Falcons fans. It's over, and it's also over for Kyle Shanahan. He's moving on from a championship caliber team to the San Francisco 49ers. So. Nice knowing you, Kyle Shanahan. We'll see you in anonymity. So can the Falcons make it back to a Super Bowl next year after such a crushing loss, after being so demoralized and losing their quote-unquote genius offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan? I really think they can. I mean, they got a really young defense. It's only going to get littered with further talent in the draft. Uh, they got two of the youngest running backs in the NFL, and Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman, who who definitely complement each other's skill sets, probably. And they, they have a top five wide receiver core in Julio, Sanu, and Gabriel. Uh, Matt Ryan, he's only 31 years old. Woo, love that. Uh, it feels like he's been in the league forever, though. I mean, he's only going to be 32 when the season kicks off next year, but it feels like it's been 15 years. What a great quarterback to target in Dynasty Leagues. He's going to be productive for another five years. No one knows where you're going to be in five years. You don't know if you'll even like fantasy football five years from now, so you might as well draft Matt Ryan as your set-it-and-forget-it quarterback in Dynasty Leagues. A lot of people really um, uh, they really pushed him back in their drafts last year because of, because of his first year under Shanahan. I mean, Shanahan's system, it's really tough to nail down. So I don't know why people were throwing him to the wolves after the first, after having a down season like that. Most people almost should have expected a bounce back. They threw Matt Ryan to the wolves. Yeah, they to threw the, him to the really wolves. Like actual wolves. Yep, they were they were pretty vicious. Wow. So is that what would happen in medieval times if they were banishing an individual from the village? They would throw them out, and, and the wolves would eat them. Did that actually happen? Theoretically. <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> Theoretically, oh yes. So this is so the answer is yes, that the Falcons can compete for a Super Bowl next season. But I love that answer. Everyone agrees, by the way. You're not the only one. No one believes that because Kyle Shanahan is now in San Francisco that the Atlanta Falcons can't compete for a championship. But I love that question because it exposes the coach worshippers that are always find themselves shuffling off when the coach changes, but the team remains productive and efficient. Kyle Shanahan's going to be gone, and what's going to happen next year? The same offensive linemen will be back. The same running backs will be taking handoffs three, four, five, six, seven yards at a time, gashing defenses, and suddenly the reason will be the next offensive coordinator, or it'll be Dan Quinn, that Dan Quinn has created a culture, a run-first culture that allows the team to be successful running the ball. Anything to not give credit to the actual players on the field. Find a way to credit the coach, and no offensive coordinator was credited more in this, uh, this past season than Kyle Shanahan, and he's going to leave and the offense is not going to change. It'll be just as productive next year as it was last year because most of these coordinators are replaceable. And there's nothing that Kyle Shanahan has in his playbook 
that defensive coordinators haven't seen and that other offensive coordinators are not aware of. He doesn't have special dust that he sprinkles on his linemen and his running backs that allow them to block in a certain way and run in a certain way that is unique in the NFL. It's a fallacy that there's some sort of special schematic advantage that Kyle Shanahan brings to the table. Nonsense. And him leaving and the Falcons being just as good next year will help to further the debunking of this narrative, which I've been debunking for many years, and still the same nonsense coach narratives continue to be written and spoken across the football analysis landscape. I mean, they did make a really good. Is it Steve Sarkeesian? Is it Sarkeesian or Sarkeesian? That's right. How do you say his name? Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. Oh, Sarkeesian. Okay. They did make a really good hire, though, in Steve Sarkeesian. He was a pretty much a dark horse for the job, though. I think he he'll really complement both Freeman and Coleman going forward. And hopefully he'll actually use Julio in the red zone. Who knows? Oh, that could be something, right? Imagine uh, an offensive coordinator that actually throws the ball to Julio Jones in the red zone. That would be a revolution. That apparently would be uh, an innovation that no other offensive coordinator could figure out. That person would actually have some special skills, unlike the offensive coordinators of years past at Atlanta. Now, looking back, 2016, what was your best take of 2016 the player that you were touting that just knocked it out of the park oh my best would have been aj green prior to the injury <laughs> uh, i was drafting aj over guys like hopkins and alan robinson was, yeah and alan robinson i was pretty high on evans as well over hopkins and a rob good call i was man. just good i was call. i was completely off hopkins after after the actual acquisition of Lamar Miller and them wanting to run the ball more, and there was just no way he was going to repeat what he did. I had Real Talk Raph from Rotoballer Radio on the show last week. He claims that DeAndre Hopkins is wildly overrated, that he's just a guy. Do you feel that strongly about Hopkins? Uh, I think he's a, he's, a, he's, like, he's a freak athlete for sure. Um, uh, but as long as Osweiler is under center, I don't see much of a future. He'll, he'll eventually probably find his way out of Houston if things keep going the way, the way that they're going. Well, they are trying to resign him. That's the latest from Houston. And if they do resign him, I feel bad for him because he's going to be trapped in quarterback purgatory along with Will Fuller and C.J. Fedorowicz. But I think he is the number one wide receiver there. The question is, does Will Fuller pose a threat to his target share? And I don't think so. So I think that there's a chance that he could be a value next year just because the targets were still there in 2016. 151 targets, number seven in the NFL. He was the quietest target monster last year, and the efficiency will go up. He was a highly efficient wide receiver in 2015. The efficiency collapsed in 2016, 6.2 yards per target, number 88 in the NFL. I think that there'll be a regression back to the mean. He won't be a WR1, but I think that DeAndre Hopkins is a strong WR2 candidate for 2017. So speaking of 2017, what's your hottest way too early take for 2017? Something that will surprise me, something that will make me sit up in my chair. Tell me. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's too hot, but 
the Eagles are really going to load up on offense this offseason. So I, so I think Carson Wentz um, uh, could deliver a 2015 Bortles-esque season and lead the Eagles into the playoffs, but eventually lose in the NFC wild card to the Falcons. Wow, you're already or, predicting playoff matchups. Already predicting playoff matchups. Wow, okay. I'm all about someone being a good version of Blake Bortles because I am over the bad version of Blake Bortles, which is Blake Bortles. So I'm happy to see Carson Wentz have an outlier season this coming year and produce better than he actually is. I don't think Carson Wentz is ever going to fire and become an elite NFL quarterback. I don't think he's going to be capable of leading his team to a Super Bowl, for example. I don't see it because he wasn't a prolific or efficient quarterback at North Dakota State. I always come back to this fact, so let me get this straight. The guy that was neither prolific nor efficient at North Dakota State is somehow, some way, going to be a perennial Pro Bowl level talent in the NFL at the highest level, justifying being the number two overall pick. I don't see it with Carson Wentz. He can throw the ball real far. Throws the ball real far. Throw the ball real far. That's good. You can throw the ball real far, Carson. Good job. Anything else you can do? No? Okay. You're Blake Bortles. And just like you said, Blake Bortles did have a good year once upon a time, so it's possible if they load up on offense. I like that. I think I agree with that. I like the Philadelphia Eagles to sign someone like Deshaun Jackson in the offseason as well as draft a running back with high-round draft capital. Who knows? Could be Dalvin Cook. We'll see. I'm, ex- I'm intrigued. Allow me to be intrigued about the offensive pieces that the Philadelphia Eagles compile this offseason because there is pressure for them to surround Carson Wentz with maximum talent because Carson Wentz suffered with one of the least talented supporting casts in the NFL last season. I mean, when your number two wide receiver is Nelson Aguilar, you're going to have some problems. Boom! Bingo! I love this. This interview is really heating up. You're doing well. Keep those one-liners coming. That's what we want. We want to kill Nelson Aguilar on this show. If you kill Nelson Aguilar on this show, if you kill Blake Bortles on this show, you're doing well. (laughs) So who's your favorite way-too-early sleeper for 2017? Um, That's got to be Josh Doxson. Oh, yeah. By the sounds of it, um, uh, both uh, Garcon and Jackson are going to test free agency. Uh, leaving just Crowder and Doxson as the top two targets at wide receiver. And Crowder yeah. isn't isn't that prototypical wide receiver one. He's always going to be that little slot shifty guy. Um, so that should leave Doxson to handle the bulk of the work. Uh, so unless the Redskins really go after a guy like Alshon Jeffrey, I really, I really like Doxson's outlook for next year. Yeah, I don't think the Washington will be drafting a wide receiver with high-round draft capital after taking Doxson in the first round last year. You very rarely see teams invest heavily in the same position in consecutive seasons. Last year, Washington, 630 pass attempts. That was number eight in the NFL. This is a high-volume, prolific pass offense, a pass-first offense with Jay Gruden. And Josh Doxson has one of the highest ceilings of any wide receiver in the league with an incredible talent profile, 6'2", 96th percentile catch radius on playerprofiler.com. He is a pterodactyl 
with a 118.8 85th percentile Spark X score. If he can translate that athleticism into on-field production as he did at TCU, where he posted a 38.674th percentile college dominator rating, then Josh Doxson will become the primary target, the number one wide receiver for one of the league's most prolific offenses. Pinch me, that's how WR1 seasons are made, Steven. Yes, I agree with you. Josh Doxson, incredible way too early sleeper. We talked earlier about being blocked by various analysts. I'm blocked by Keon Fahey. Have you ever been blocked by a mainstream fantasy expert? Uh, I am currently blocked by Keon Fahey. That probably won't change. Yes. All, I asked, all I asked them to do was tell me a joke. Yes, I love it. Uh, I got Who else a little, has blocked you? I got a little 24-hour timeout from Mike Clay. Mike uh, Clay blocked out, you? For calling out his love affair for Chris Hogan. Because Chris Hogan I'm a big wasn't good Malcolm in the regular Mitchell. season. I agree with you for calling him out on that. Because I was a big Malcolm Mitchell believer yes. during his little late-season run. Malcolm Mitchell over Chris Hogan. But Chris Hogan, really, he really did step it up in the playoffs there so it'll be interesting to see what happens next year for sure a lot of these patriots their fantasy value was going to be inflated this offseason because they had so many extra games extra reps in prime time where fantasy gamers could see the performance they could see the athleticism they could watch julian edelman make one of the greatest catches in the history of the nfl and that resonates with fantasy footballers, when you perform at a high level in prime time, that affects your fantasy value. That enhances your ADP. Meanwhile, all the players on losing teams aren't afforded that luxury, and so they get passed by players that played in the playoffs, and that's irrational. That's an opportunity to sell players like a Julian Edelman or a Chris Hogan and to buy players like a Marquise Lee, or an Allen Robinson. Yeah, perfect perfect time to buy a low on Allen Robinson after after that train wreck of a season with Bortles uh, last year. What about Larry Fitzgerald? He's coming back for one more season. Are you buying Larry Fitzgerald in redraft? Yeah, I would, I would definitely buy at the right price. I think last year, everybody, the whole team as a whole, kind of just packed it up at the midseason point because it was just a big letdown season. They, so they just let their David Johnson do his thing, run out the season, break records, pretty much just packed it up. But um, yeah, Fitzgerald, he can definitely be productive next year. Uh, as long as Carson Palmer doesn't regress back to Carson Palmer again, that is. Well, Carson Palmer was thinking about retiring. Word was he had his house on the market, and he'd already moved his entire family to another town, different school system. I don't know what's going on with Carson Palmer. I don't even think it matters whether Carson Palmer is going to be back or not because Carson Palmer wasn't good last year. Carson Palmer's arm is a wet noodle at this point. He is washed. The question I have is, can Larry Fitzgerald at least return value? And he always does. Whenever Larry Fitzgerald is healthy, he returns value on his ADP. He almost always exceeds the expectations of his ADP draft position. Why? Because for some reason, Larry Fitzgerald is haunted by these nonsense narratives. Like, for example, I heard that Larry Fitzgerald runs down as the season goes on. That he's good in the first half, and then in the second half, 
he gets run down. And that's an indication that he's getting older, that he probably should retire. Larry Fitzgerald doesn't run down as the season goes on. In the last couple seasons, his first half just happened to be better than the second half. But that doesn't mean he's running down. Do you really think, honestly, Larry Fitzgerald lacks world-class conditioning? Everything we know about Larry Fitzgerald. You think that he's not a well-conditioned, finely-tuned athlete? Of course he is. So what do analysts do? They go to the game log, and then they retrofit their analysis around the game log. They manufacture narratives to explain the tendencies that they're seeing. That's the game that analysts play with the game log. And with Larry Fitzgerald, you don't fall for it. Just look at the overall stats. You don't care whether or not the numbers come at the first half or the second half. I think it's all randomness. I think that next year, Larry Fitzgerald could start slow and then have an incredible second half. The idea that an athlete the caliber of Larry Fitzgerald would slow down as the year goes on is complete nonsense. I look at the overall season, and that's who he was. In a 16-game season, what Larry Fitzgerald is, is a 100-catch player that barely goes over 1,000 yards. He's a close-to-the-line-of-scrimmage slot receiver, evidenced by his average depth of target, or as we call it on playerprofiler.com, target distance. You go to playerprofiler.com, you'll see we've added an additional row of efficiency metrics on running backs, on wide receivers, on tight ends. So for wide receivers, we added slot rate, slot yards per reception, target distance, which is in effect average depth of target. We track drops, we track fantasy points per snap. Lots of new metrics available now on playerprofiler.com. And Larry Fitzgerald is what he is at this point. But my guess is his ADP will not reflect a 100 reception receiver, which is what he will be in his age 33 season, just like he was in his age 32 season. He'll definitely return wide receiver three value next year. That's nearly certain. He's not going to be drafted in the first 36 receivers. I guarantee you that. The reason why I believe that he will exceed his ADP expectations is because he's not going to be drafted within those first 36 wide receivers. He's going to be drafted as if he's washed, and he's not washed. Carson Palmer's washed. Larry Fitzgerald will not be washed as long as he wants to be a wide receiver and play in the NFL because he's one of the best-conditioned athletes in the NFL. He has been since he entered the league. There's no reason to believe that that's ever going to change. Larry Fitzgerald, to me, is the Tom Brady of the wide receiver position. He is obsessive-compulsive about his diet, his strength and conditioning, his practice habits. So I believe that he can play for as long as he wants to play, and there's no reason to believe that Larry Fitzgerald will not be like a metronome for as long as he's playing the position 100 catches, 1,000 to 1,100 yards per season, and somewhere between 5 and 10 touchdowns. That's a Larry Fitzgerald season. Mark it down. So I will be targeting him in redraft all year. All my leagues, expert leagues, home leagues, it's going to be Larry Fitzgerald slotted into that flex spot every time. It would be a great value. So we talked about someone like Larry Fitzgerald, reliable. Who's the most fraudulent NFL player? Someone who's been good in fantasy lately, but who's actually a bad player in real life. Uh, I would have to go with 
LeGarrette Blunt. We even saw it on Super Bowl Sunday he was virtually ineffective that game. But somehow he still put up 18 rushing touchdowns on the season, uh, in the regular season, that is, which is pretty ridiculous. But as long as as long as long he has Tom Brady under center, he'll, he'll be good fantasy-wise, but he won't be very effective. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that LeGarrette Blunt was a touchdown-fueled fantasy asset propelled by 18 total touchdowns. That's ridiculous. That's mm-hmm. mind-blowing stuff. Yeah. 18 touchdowns. He'll never touch 18 touchdowns ever again. But I also think that fantasy gamers know that. I don't think that LeGarrette Blunt's going to be overdrafted next year. I think that they realize that LeGarrette Blunt's much better in fantasy than he is in real life. So who is the player that's going to be this year's Kelvin Benjamin? The player whose ADP is massively inflated and he has almost no chance whatsoever to produce enough fantasy points to justify his draft position. Uh, I'm going to go with another touchdown-fueled guy, and that's that's going to be Devontae Adams. I mean, the Packers, they still have Randall Cobb. We aren't even, are we even sure he's done in that offense? Like, this is going to be the team that's going to try and emphasize the run next year because that was their biggest weakness this season. And it's going to be really hard for Adams to recapture the 12-touchdown season if they're emphasizing the run as much as they should be next year. Yeah, I like that. You don't have to convince me that Devontae Adams is much better in fantasy than he is in real life. I think he's a replacement-level wide receiver that just happens to be getting full-time snaps with Aaron Rodgers. And congratulations on that. You were very fortunate. You are one of the blessed souls in all of sports. So congratulations, Devontae Adams. You won the lottery. You get to start with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Great job. Mine's Julian Edelman. Because I think that Julian Edelman will have a Super Bowl premium ADP. And fantasy gamers do not like to delve into the advanced efficiency metrics except those that are fans of playerprofiler.com. And when you go to playerprofiler.com, what are you going to find? You're going to find that his catch rate was lower than it had been in previous years. Down close to 60%. Yards per target under 7. Target premium, which measures Julian Edelman's per target output compared to the other receivers in that Patriots passing game, negative 31.7. That was 105th in the league, and that's paired with a negative 18.8, 92nd in the league production premium. So look at every given down and distance, and how did this wide receiver perform against the average wide receiver at a given down and distance in a given game scenario? Julian Edelman was relatively inefficient last year he was relatively inefficient uh compared to the usage he was getting julian edelman was rather inefficient last year for sure julian edelman as long as he's getting fed 160 targets number three in the nfl 10 targets per game he's going to produce wr2 numbers how could he not but I don't believe that that target share will be there next year. We can assume that Rob Gronkowski is going to come back from his back surgery. So that will cannibalize some of Julian Edelman's targets. But I believe Malcolm Mitchell will cannibalize the targets the most. I believe that going into his age 31 season, the Patriots will recognize that Julian Edelman was not nearly as efficient as he has been in the past. 
and the offense will start to shift its focus, and they'll funnel a lot more targets to Malcolm Mitchell. So Malcolm Mitchell's presence is a real threat to Julian Edelman's target share. If the target share goes down and he's become an inefficient slot receiver, his fantasy points per game is going to collapse. Now, another player that I believe will not return the fantasy points per game to live up to his average draft position is C.J. Anderson. Yet recently I saw Mike Clay ranked C.J. Anderson ahead of, get this, Tevin Coleman and C.J. Procise in Dynasty. In Dynasty. Can you believe that? Can you? Can you believe that? That's pretty ludicrous. Pretty crazy. It's ludicrous. It's absolutely are we even are we even sure CJ Anderson is going to be the starter next no, year? Oh, I think it's going to be Devontae Booker. I like Devontae Booker because Devontae Booker, unlike CJ Anderson, was at least a dominant college player. CJ Anderson was outproduced by EC Safili at the University of California. At Utah, Devontae Booker was incredibly dominant. 14.3% college target share. That's 91st percentile on playerprofile.com. So he was funneled targets in the passing game. But he was also incredibly dominant overall, 40.1% dominator rating, 87th percentile. So basically, Utah said, we're going to run this entire offense through Devontae Booker. Whenever I see a college offense decide to run their entire offense through the running back in today's spread attack that is the norm in college football, I take notice. And that's what Devontae Booker was in, at the college level, a complete and utter focal point. Now, why didn't he produce more last year, given an opportunity as a starter? Well, because the offensive line was terrible. 77.9 run blocking efficiency, 26th in the league for the Denver Broncos. They couldn't block anybody, and they had abysmal quarterback play. So what happens in that situation? Well, when you hand the ball off, the defense doesn't respect the quarterback, so they're keying on the run game. And then you have a defense that's king on the run game and an offensive line that can't block anybody. What do you think's going to happen to Devontae Booker when he takes a handoff? He's going to go get... for 3.5 yards per carry. Exactly. The exact number you would guess in that scenario is 3.5 yards per carry, and that's exactly what Devontae Booker posted as a rookie. His situation, I believe, will improve. I think the quarterback play will improve. That'll help to keep the defense honest, keep matriculating the ball downfield, give him more red zone looks, give him more opportunities out of the backfield. So the quarterback play, so improved quarterback play for the Broncos next year is going to be huge. For Devontae Booker, it'll matter more to Devontae Booker than even Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders. Improved quarterback play is going to be a huge factor for him, definitely. If they bring in a free agent like Tony Romo, or uh, they may even go after one in the draft, but they did they did um, get Paxton Lynch last year in the first round. So who knows what that's going to look like. The only red flag that I saw on Booker uh, – and in college was he had a hard time picking up the playbook. He had to be reminded of certain things. So another year in the system um, uh, probably will definitely help get that type of ordeal down with the coaching staff. Yeah, he was a rookie last year. Matt Forte, rookie year yards per carry under four. A lot of running backs struggle as rookies. Le'Veon Bell, you name it. Running backs we love, a lot of them struggled their rookie season. Allow a dominant college player like Devontae Booker to struggle instead of believing in C.J. Anderson, who in all of his years in the NFL has strung together 
one impressive stretch of eight games three years ago. Two of them Threshold. against the Raiders defense, which at the time had the worst rush defense in the entire NFL. So C.J. Anderson was fortunate to string together a luck-fueled eight-game stretch three years ago, and he's still living off that. He signed a contract extension based on that, and fantasy gamers like Mike Clay are continuing to be fooled by the randomness that was that eight-game stretch three years ago, continuing to believe that C.J. Anderson is a worthwhile dynasty asset, that he can return value, that he's just one game away to returning to C.J. Anderson RB1. It's not going to happen. That's not who he is. A lot of that, in my opinion, is just the fresh legs. Like, people don't understand how good fresh legs are late into the season. If we really looked at um, uh, C.J. Anderson's offseason, the only, the only teams that were interested in him were former Bronco coaches in, at the, in the Dolphins and the Bears. The, those are really the only teams that are willing to offer him money, offer him that contract were former Broncos coaches. Great point. Let's talk about these rookies that are coming up. People are excited about Mike Williams. They're excited about Corey Davis. Where would you like to see Mike Williams and Corey Davis land? Uh, Mike Williams, uh, he'll probably land in Tennessee. Uh, Corey Davis would be a great compliment in Tampa Bay for Mike Evans. Tampa Bay? You want a big outside receiver to land in Tampa Bay? What? That would that would be, It would be dangerous with Mike Evans there as well. I know it would be great for Tampa Bay fans, but not for fantasy football fans. We need Mike Evans to be the focal point, and we want Corey Davis to land on a high-powered offense where he can be potentially the number one wide receiver in the near future. If he goes to Tampa Bay, he's never going to be the primary receiver. That would be a death sentence for Corey Davis. You know what? I take that back because if you think about it, you want a player to go to Tampa Bay because it's a prolific offense, high-volume pass attempts. 570 pass attempts, Jameis Winston, 86 deep ball attempts, number three in the league last year in deep ball attempts. So you want a wide receiver to go to a prolific offense, and that's Tampa Bay. So even though it would be impossible for him to achieve WR1 target share, you still like the idea of him in a prolific offense. That would be much better than Corey Davis landing on a team like San Francisco. Ugh. Or the Jets. <laughs> Let's go to running backs. Dalvin Cook, Fournette. Where do you like Dalvin Cook? Where do you like Leonard Fournette landing? Dalvin Cook, um, I would say Philadelphia is the most logical. And then I see Fournette mock to the Jets a lot. I mean, that makes sense that's to some points. I mean, that's... That's probably where I'd see him going is in, in New York. One of those two running backs needs to go to Carolina, and they need to take advantage of the Alfred Morris corollary where when you have a running quarterback, he helps to freeze linebackers and gives running backs a little extra space to run, a little more leverage on the linebackers. And so the fact that Jonathan Stewart was bottom 10 in the NFL in yards per touch last year is a huge concern because – he had the advantage of sharing a backfield with Cam Newton. This tells me that Jonathan Stewart potentially could be a cut candidate based on his inefficiency last year, and he's had a litany of lower body injuries. That's what happens. This could be an athletic version of Arian Foster that we're seeing in Jonathan Stewart, which means that the Carolina Panthers know they need a running back, and I think they're willing to invest high-round draft capital in a running back. Dalvin Cook paired with Cam Newton. That's exciting. That that would be that would be exciting. 
especially with Omar Cook's skill set, like that the receiving back. He's just so phenomenal in the passing game. It's it's straight up ridiculous, actually. So we could see easily the Jets, the Eagles, the Panthers drafting a running back. What's that team that you don't expect to draft a running back that might draft a running back anyway with high round draft capital and shock everyone and supplant an existing incumbent running back like what happened to Trey Mason two years ago when the Rams drafted Todd Gurley? What running back do you think can be this year's Trey Mason? I think the Saints could take a running back early. I mean, Mark Ingram, he's heading into his third year on a four-year deal that's backloaded with money. He's due like $5.2 million if he stays with the team, and 500000 of that's due on the 11th of March. So it'll be really interesting to see the route that the Saints go with Ingram in the offseason, especially with Hightower. He's now a free agent, and you still have Daniel Lasco there waiting in the wing. So it'll be interesting with how deep this running back class is, um, uh, which way the Saints go. They could definitely entertain a day two pick that could – push that starting role away from Ingram. I mean, we know Sean Payton hates Ingram, so it's only a matter of time, right? Right. The Saints understand that Mark Ingram is not a special talent. I think the Saints understand this better than anyone else, certainly better than fantasy gamers who still continue to believe that this guy's a locked-in RB1 for the foreseeable future. No, he's not! He's one draft pick away from not having a starting job. I totally agree with you. Let's go rapid fire. Look at these wide receivers that are on that are scheduled for free agency. Tell me your favorite landing spot for the following. Rapid fire, Alshon Jeffrey. Philadelphia. Whoa, not Deshaun Jackson, but I love it. I like the Alshon Jeffrey-Jordan Matthews pairing. Terrell Pryor. Franchise tagged. He's staying in Cleveland? Staying in Cleveland. They're going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money to stay. I want Terrell Pryor to go to New England. The idea that Terrell Pryor, the size-speed phenom, could join Tom Brady and give Tom Brady a proper X receiver for the first time since Randy Moss, that sends a shiver down my spine. Let that happen. The Patriots are top five in the NFL in cap space. They can absolutely afford Terrell Pryor. Please. I just want to see it. Just for the spectacle of it. Terrell Pryor to New England. Okay, Deshaun Jackson. I think uh, he goes to L.A. with the hiring of McVay out there. I think they really got leveraged for Deshaun Jackson to go out to L.A. He's from Los Angeles. He likes money. The L.A. Rams have money to spend. I don't see Deshaun Jackson being the type of player that cares as much about winning a championship as some other players. I think that he's going to chase the money. He wants to make as much as he possibly can. I haven't heard anything from the Deshaun Jackson camp that suggests that he would take less in order to play for a contender. That just doesn't seem to be his disposition. Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt is going to go take over Victor Victor Cruz's role in New York. Yes. I love this one. I think sometimes we forget that the Giants have no big receivers. We think of Odell Beckham Jr. He has a big catch radius, but he's actually undersized, as is Sterling Shepard. A big receiver on the Giants would be welcome for all. Kenny Britt to the Giants, that would improve their offense significantly. That's exactly what Eli Manning needs. Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd. I personally hate Michael Floyd, so I, I don't think he signs anywhere. After the season he had, I, I'm not sure. 
Michael Floyd forced to retire, according to Stephen Wilt. I don't know. He probably signs, but I, I just don't see where he would go. I, I just I don't see it. You're willing him into retirement out of hate. <laughs> Kendall yep. Wright. Where does Kendall Wright go? Uh, New York to the Jets. Oh, that would just be puke-worthy. He's not going to go to the Jets. I'll tell you why. Because Quincy Nunwa was top 10 in the NFL in slot rate. That's one of those new metrics we have now on the player pages on playerprofiler.com. So they found their slot receiver in either Quincy Nunwa or Eric Decker. Because when Brandon Marshall was on the field, Eric Decker played a lot of slot. Without Brandon Marshall, assuming he leaves, Decker might be forced to play more on the outside. I think that Quincy Nunwa is a slot receiver. He's one of those pumped-up slot receivers that we love. I can't see the team adding yet another player that likes to win out of that flanker slot position because that's basically all the Jets have other than Robbie Anderson are slot flankers. I don't think Kendall Wright is a good fit there. I like Kendall Wright on Tampa Bay. That's really what Tampa Bay needs, an upgrade at the slot receiver position. Adam Humphreys, he's a below-replacement NFL talent. Kendall Wright would be a major upgrade, and he would receive a target boon in that high-volume, prolific Buccaneers offense. Kenny Stills, where's Kenny Stills going? Uh, Philly as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Philly needs a deep threat, and everyone's thinking, oh, Deshaun Jackson's going to reunite. Maybe not. Why not Kenny Stills? He's a poor man's Deshaun Jackson. The Deshaun Jackson skill set without the nuance and the strength at the catch point. Pierre Garçon. Pierre Garçon, uh, Tampa Bay. Now that I like. That I can see. Because you have the proper X receiver in Mike Evans and you have a proper flanker in Pierre Garçon. I think either Kendall Wright or Pierre Garçon would be a great addition. Certainly an upgrade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Looking at the running backs... In redraft, we all know Le'Veon Bell, we all know David Johnson, we all know Ezekiel Elliott. Those will be the top three running backs in all drafts. I think they'll be the top three players drafted in a lot of drafts. I think it's going to go one, two, three David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, or some other order. But I think those will be the big three everyone's targeting. But who's the number four running back? Who's the fourth running back off the board for you? So behind Bell, behind David Johnson, behind Zeke, my next pick uh, would actually be Dalvin Cook. And we don't what? even know his landing spot yet. Uh, I'm, I'm already all in. He's explosive, elusive, great in space, great feet, excellent hands and route running skills. He's a top four running back to me in redraft. And I don't know how he's not the 101 in every single rookie draft this offseason. I mean, when your number two wide receiver is Nelson Aguilar, you're going to have some problems. Boom! Pinch me. That's how WR1 seasons are made, Steven. Now, I will ask you again, Steven Wilt. Who was the MVP of the Super Bowl? It was James White. Yes! Yeah, you're damn right it was. You're goddamn right it was James White. 